My name is Patrick J. McGinnis, and I coined the term FOMO. That's short for fear of missing out, and it's why some people end up following the crowd. But we're not like them. We're part of a new species that isn't afraid to do things differently. I call us FOMO sapiens. And this is the show where you'll meet people like us, phenomenal FOMO sapiens, to learn how they find the courage and the ideas to live exceptional lives. Welcome to another episode of FOMO Sapiens, the show for people who don't just follow the crowd, but instead take their own path to success in business and in life. I'm your host, Patrick J. McGinnis, venture capitalist by day, author and podcaster by night, and FOMO Sapiens 24-7. Today, we're talking about people who are doing something really different. They are truly taking up a unique path because they are starting a new company. They are entrepreneurs in the world of psychedelics. Now, we have talked about this a little bit in the past. But here you have a company that is actually operating within a legal corner of the market, which is Ketamine Journeys. Those are legal here in New York City and other places. And so that's what we're going to talk about because I find this notion of being an entrepreneur in an emerging space where there are still regulatory issues super fascinating. There's stigma. You got to overcome that. There's just a lot of elements to this. But if you do well, you know, you're kind of like a first mover, so you can do incredible things. So it's just a space I've been watching all of psychedelics. And I heard these founders speak on a panel about a year ago, and I was like, these guys have to come on the show. Now, my guests today are the co-founders of a company called New Shama. The first is Jay Godfrey. He's the co-founder and CEO. And New Shama was born from Jay's desire to work with the most experienced physicians and business minds to create treatment alternatives and build infrastructure for the future of psychedelics. Now, prior to New Shama, Jay was actually in the world of fashion with his namesake brand, Jay Godfrey, that sold on five continents at Saks, Neiman Marcus, Nordstrom, and Bloomingdale's, and was worn by people like Jennifer Lopez, Viola Davis, Ashley Graham, and Laverne Cox. That's very interesting. Now, his co-founder, Richard Meloff, he's also the president of the company, brings 15 years of management experience as a senior executive in the food and cannabis industries, and before that, he was a Wall Street M&A lawyer. So you have some guys with serious business shops coming in and doing fascinating things. We're going to talk about how they're doing it. It's a fascinating episode that you're going to love. So let's get to it. As you know, I like to start every episode with the same question, and the question is this, what's a formative decision you've had to make to get to where you are today? Patrick, in about 2018, uh, I was going to talk, you know, I was three years into talk therapy, spending $300 a week. And I had all these great strategies, great kind of coping mechanisms, but I didn't feel like life was about coping. And at least that's what I'd been reading about. Like, is the purpose of life just to get by and just to cope? And um, I'd been reading a book that was gifted to me called How to Change Your Mind by Michael Pollan, which was uh, really uh, a Bible of sorts on the promise of psychedelic medicine. And although I had never tried any drugs in my life, um, I thought, wow, uh, this is this is the future. And um, I took a massive leap of faith. And what I thought at the time was a major decision to explore plant medicine. And four years later, 2023, not only has it completely changed the fabric of my daily existence, uh, but it's also the reason I co-founded Nushama, um, my, uh, our, our business, I should say, that uh, treats people using ketamine with, for, with depression, anxiety, PTSD. So I look back on that decision as both a formative one, um, a risky one, and, and one that had to happen. It's not often that you hear an entrepreneur 
I mean, we, we, we hear about entrepreneurs starting companies because they, you know, they worked in an industry and they saw some sort of opportunity and they were like, I can do that better. When you have a product that changes your life, that's a whole other way to come at it. It's very interesting founder story. Rich, I'm going to bring you in here because you guys started this, this company together in Ushama. Tell, tell us the story behind this. So Jay has this kind of foundational experience. Like what happens next to get this business you know, off the ground? So I see Jay at a family event in 2020, just before the world gets turned upside down. Jay and I have known each other for 25 years. We went to university together. His older brother and I were roommates. So we've known each other. I've known Jay since he was 17 years old. And we, he didn't know that I, at that time I was an executive in the cannabis industry. And I did not know at that time that he was um, making these transformational life changes with plant medicine. And by pure serendipity, we started having a conversation about, about drugs. And it emerged that he was, he was very interested in psychedelics, as was I, because in the cannabis industry at the time, especially on the medical side, I was seeing people get these huge prescriptions for PTSD, like five, 10 grams a day, which is just a staggering amount of cannabis if you, if you know anything about pot. And I said, this can't be right. Like it cannot be right that, that to treat PTSD, people have to be stoned from the minute they wake up to the minute they go to sleep at night. And so we started having this conversation and it dawned on us that we both had this uh, passion for for wellness, this passion for helping people uh, improve their lives um, through through plant medicine, but we just were unsure at that moment how we were going to get from A to B. We we knew that this was that we were onto something, but so many many months of discussion and iteration uh, made us come to the conclusion about a couple things. One, what we weren't, we were not drug discovery people. We weren't going to discover the next great, you know, molecule. We're not Sasha Shulgin and we're not, you know, Pfizer. We're not a drug company. Um, we're not really technologists in like, we're not going to do a VR thing. What we could do and what we did understand was, was product hospitality and, um, retail. And so we came to the idea and we also had this passion to help people in the here and now, not on the, not at some distant future date but right now. And so the, the point was, what can we do today to help people today? And the answer was, we can open a clinic that uses the only legal psychedelic-like molecule that exists, which is ketamine. And we're going to open a clinic to treat people with these mood disorders right away. And that was the sort of the how it all came together, how it all coalesced. So you know, we've talked a little bit about this plant medicine space on FOMO Sapiens because it is, it's a hot space. It's a hot space in a couple of ways. Number one, it is a hot space for users. I think people are seeing this, you know, and, and there's, there's obviously FOMO and stuff because people say, well, one session and it's like 43 years of therapy. Right. Well, you know, maybe, probably not, but, but, but it is clearly it's, it, there are solutions that are coming out of this. On the other side, there's money rushing in, even despite the pullback in venture capital across the world, like, you know, there's certain sectors, AI, uh, you know, sort of uh, psychedelics that are that are that are hot and people are getting into them and they're speculative, right? Like because, you know, it's early days, but there is a lot of interest. So 
you know, Jay, you've been through this. You, 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 you found plant medicine to be powerful in your own journey. What is this like? Talk, take us through the, the 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 solution that you know a ketamine sort of journey provides. Like, what are we trying to achieve, and what does it actually do? Sure, uh, Patrick, that's a great question because it's one that we get, and it's probably the most misunderstood thing about psychedelics. So, psychedelics in general, and in our case, ketamine, but this rule or this description will will hold for psilocybin. It will hold for LSD. Ibogaine, DMT, and MDMA. Um, when somebody has a trauma, and this often occurs in childhood for most mood disorders, but often for PTSD, it can happen at any time in life. A trauma creates uh, a wound, and that trauma can be a capital T trauma, like you've witnessed a murder, maybe you were abused sexually, emotionally, or physically. Um, you witnessed something tragic. Um, or lowercase t trauma, which is really somebody when you were eight years old told you you were dumb or that you were too tall or too short or too poor or too rich or too anything. And you really developed this sense that you weren't good enough. And that not good enough never leaves. And people develop, they build walls around themselves to protect themselves so that they don't get hurt again. And it happens in every single human being. And eventually, if you build up enough walls, and we call those walls ego, um, you can develop quite an issue. That issue can manifest itself as alcohol use disorder. It could manifest itself as depression, anxiety, obsessive compulsive disorder, perhaps an eating disorder, and many other things that kind of fall under the umbrella of mood disorders. And so how, does, how do psychedelics or how does ketamine impact mood disorders? Well, the whole purpose of a high-dose psychedelic journey is to dissolve the ego temporarily so that you as the patient or the journeyer can bear witness or play the observer to yourself. So the trip in itself is a psycho-spiritual experience without your ego intact. And you get to see your traumas not for the meaning that you've attached to them without judgment of good or bad, but really as something that might have occurred to you many, many, many years ago and that the traumas do not serve you any longer as an adult. And often people will go through their psychedelic experiences and what's really important is afterwards to talk about it with a trained therapist who really understands this type of work and to make sense of what you saw. And so for myself, I saw things that might have occurred to me during my childhood that I carried with me into my late 30s and early 40s that I just saw fundamentally as not serving me any longer to be attached to it in such a negative framework. FOMO. Quick math. The less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, or delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. But with higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. So to reduce costs and headaches, smart businesses are graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, and HR into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required, access from anywhere. 
You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. And you improve efficiency by bringing all major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move, so do the math. See how you'll profit with NetSuite. And with rising prices everywhere you look, you got to do the math and save money. Good news, by popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. So head over to netsuite.com slash FOMO. That's netsuite.com slash FOMO. netsuite.com slash FOMO. Tudo bem, meus queridos FOMO sapiens. Now that right there was Portuguese. And as you know, I love speaking foreign languages. But I'm not alone. One in five Americans have learned a new language on their bucket list. If that's you, make 2024 the year you finally check it off that list with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's tips and tools are approachable, accessible, and delivered with conversation-based teaching so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Now, FOMO sapiens, you know I speak four languages, and it takes work to stay on top of them, especially with French. C'est difficile. But with Babbel, I'm able to practice practical conversations that I can actually use in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription, but only for our listeners at babbel.com slash FOMO. Get up to 60% off at babbel.com slash FOMO. That's spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash FOMO. Rules and restrictions may apply. FOMO. Now, how does this work? Because I understand, I mean, I get the concept, right? But like, say you, like, say you go through a journey, uh, how do you end up in that place? Because one could, one could end up thinking about unicorns and rainbows and stars. How does one laser in, in particular on these, these, these incidents that are so inhibiting? Like, how do you get to that spot? That's a good point. It's not about doing. There's nothing in your journey to to actively do. In fact, it's the opposite of doing, which is in the experience of ego dissolution, when you experience what the the Buddhist monks call pure consciousness, um, uh, what Christ would call the Christ consciousness, what the Kabbalists will call the light, when you experience that absolute being in the absence of thinking and doing, something comes up. And when that something comes up, it's unmistakable. So yes, you might see rainbows and unicorns. In fact, it happens quite frequently that the visuals in in many different types of psychedelic experiences, including IV ketamine, um, provide these extraordinary visuals. But it's really not about the rainbows and unicorns. It's about the feeling that comes along with it. And it is not a feeling of intoxication. It is a feeling of utter presence. And that presence allows you, in the absence of your ego, to observe the self. And in self-observation, that is the absolute narrow pathway, in my estimation, to healing. So when you put it that way, it sounds very beautiful. It is. Very healthy. And yet, most of the stuff is illegal. You know, you hear the word ketamine, like, now I'm going to tell you guys, you, you, you know, you guys know New York City, like, the first time I ever saw ketamine was when I was at somebody's house, and there was a paper plate with all this stuff, and I was like, what the heck is that? And they're like, that's ketamine, and I was like, that looks scary, um, and I did not try that, because that would be, you know, like, that's a, that is not the application that we're talking right. about today, uh, no judgment, but it's just not what, what we're talking about, but, you know, there is, uh, these are super 
you know, these are these are controversial things. And yet. And so, like, why is that? Like, first of all, why? Where's the stigma coming from? And second, why is it that ketamine of all of these other sort of treatments is legal? Yeah. So there's a lot to unpack there. Let's start with the fact that 50 mm. plus years ago, um, President Nixon started the war on drugs and it was an unbelievably powerful and successful propaganda campaign uh, and lumping all sorts of molecules together, regardless of uh, risk, harm associated. It all became, you know, one big pool of misery and destruction, cocaine in the pot, heroin in the pot, methamphetamines in the pot. You too, LSD, you get in there as well, right? And so uh, cannabis, that was they were all in the same basket of, of highly, uh, supposedly highly dangerous and, and, and deeply stigmatized. Um, international treaties were signed, um, making every country on earth sort of agree to these basic principles. Uh, so, and then, you know, we had very effective advertising campaigns. This is your brain. This is your brain on drugs with an egg frying, right? So years and years of this being pounded into us through the culture, um, it, it shifts your perspective. Now, around the same time in the, in the late, in the sixties, ketamine is discovered as a molecule, uh, as this unbelievable anesthetic. It's given to soldiers on the battlefield to self-administer, to get them, you know, to, as an intermediate step if they're injured, to anesthetize their wound and to get them back to, you know, the military hospital. Um, and what, what, what is noticed is that, you know, these soldiers are, are not afraid anymore. Like they've lost their sense of fear. They're, 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 uh, they feel, you know, safe and secure when they take the ketamine and, um, and it's and they notice that it it doesn't affect respiration. It has no impact on the respiratory system, and so it becomes to quickly to be viewed as this as as what it is now an essential molecule. Meaning every hospital, every country needs to have a stockpile of this because it is an unbelievably effective uh, anesthetic. It's an unbelievably effective analgesic, and it's so safe that it's used in pediatric surgeries. My son, who recently broke his arm at camp when they reduced the fracture, uh, they administered ketamine to him uh, in order to, to deal with the pain. And, um, wow. and, and so, you know, it's used in pediatric context. So it's unbelievably safe, but it also was in this, it was lumped in with, with, these, other, with these other drugs, even though the, the DEA, the FDA all recognized the efficacy and safety of ketamine, reputationally it was still in that in that group of other of other drugs um and so that has been part of the stigma as well there is diversion to the street let's not pretend there isn't there is diversion to the street that's how ketamine which is a schedule three drug ends up as special k on the street and um you know people like there are it's there are hardly there there aren't really horror stories around ketamine but there certainly are enough negative stories around special K and the street use of, of ketamine that again, it would, there would be that, that stigma as well. So it's incumbent upon us as new Shama to really educate our, uh, you know, the people who are interested in this treatment and really make them understand that in a therapeutic context at the doses we administer with the supervision and the, and the, and the safety wrap that we put around this treatment, that it is remarkably safe and efficacious, but you know, you, there's an old saying, you, you, you must be carefully taught. Uh, 
meaning it's very, once you put something in someone's head, it's very hard to get it back out. And that's incumbent upon us to do that. Yeah. It's as you tell this story, it strikes me quite rich that like, you know, these treatments, which, you know, are efficacious and if used properly are super healthy or, you know, un unharming. And then you have, those are illegal. And then they're handing out opioids to everybody because the Sackler family, you know, it's just so, it's so unfortunate, right? But, you know, we, we're, we're on the other side of that now. It is, you know, it's starting to gain acceptance. And, you know, as we think about that, um, you know, Jay, you guys have been doing this for two years now. You started the, the business. Like, what does it look like? So, you know, it's it, it's an interesting category, but it's also you got to make them. You got to make a buck. You got to you got to be able to do this. Like how many journeys have you done now? And like, what are the how do you kind of measure the milestones? Like, I, I know you, you take insurance. That seems like it's important. Like, what are some of those business factors that you're that you're looking at to to measure whether this is a great business? Yeah, the, there's a number of things over the last two years we've administered about 7,000 journeys. That covers around 16, 1,700 people. Um, and efficacy really is determined um, surprisingly, both qualitative and qualitatively and quantitatively. But from a quantitative perspective, we see about 80% of our patients have statistical significant reductions in their mood disorder, whether that's depression, PTSD, um, uh, anxiety. And we, we give people questionnaires at the beginning of their treatment, um, three sessions in, six sessions in, and then two months later. So we, we feel very, very good uh, about the efficacy rates, uh, the safety, as well as, um, you know, the, the, the lasting ability of the treatment. Um, we do recognize that it's not a magic pill. It is not what I call a pill for an ill. This is something that gets administered and that requires the person who's it being administered to uh, observe themselves, as I spoke to before, and actually do the work. This isn't a pharmaceutical agent that's going to cure your depression. It's a pharmaceutical agent that will open you up for you to see so then you can do the work to, to unshackle yourself from the, um, the terrors of your own trauma. Um, did that answer your question? Yeah, but let's let's get specific, Jay. So, you know, you've you've mentioned seventeen hundred patients. Tell me about like give us obviously no names, right? But give us an example of somebody that you know that that has come through and like what has been the impact for that person. Wow, there's so many stories to tell, but I I think one of the one of the one that always comes top of mind to me is. You know, my office is here in the clinic in New York, and it's a pretty big place. It's about 7,500 square feet with 18 treatment rooms. And my office is on one far end of it. And I'm sitting there. I don't know. I'm, I guess I'm on a spreadsheet or something. And I hear a sound. This guy's... And most people during their journeys are completely quiet and silent. And this, this patient um, was being very vocal, screaming the F word, over and over and over. And I, I, at the, initially I was quite concerned and I peek out of my office and I see the clinical team, which is nurses and medical assistants and therapists and doctor running towards the room. And as a business person, the initial thought is, oh no, this is going to be a problem. And what, you know, I went back into my office and 
I don't know whether I prayed or what, but just hoping that everything was okay. And I later heard after this patient had come through his journey and integrated that with our therapists, he came in with such severe treatment-resistant depression and acute suicidal ideation. And in his journey, um, he had seen uh, a visual of him killing himself and showed up with another visual at his own funeral. And at his funeral, he observed, I think it was his 18-year-old daughter, uh, but it might have been his son, I don't recall exactly, just absolutely crushed by the fact that the father had, had seemingly committed suicide. And in that one single journey, this guy had resolved that he would never kill himself. And so me, so to me, talk about a transformation, somebody who'd come in with a diagnosis of treatment-resistant depression and, and, and suicidal ideation, had completely resolved the suicidal ideation because he saw the result of it in his journey. And there's many, many other stories that are equally as profound, but that, that's, that's one that I always come back to. FOMO. FOMO. So one thing that kind of strikes me about this whole space is that, you know, it is evolving, right? But there are, it, it, it feels like, you know, we're going to look back and I'm not here to like, you know, I'm not, I'm not like on the payroll of anybody in the industry, but I just think I'm looking at this. I'm like in 20 years, people will be like, why were we all doing this all the time appropriately? Not every day. Of course, it's like a lot to take on, but, uh, but it is, you know, attitudes are shifting and there's two, there's, I guess, Rich, there's two things I want you to talk about. One is there is a, I think there is a perception out there that this is like for rich people. This is like a, this is like <laughs> bored rich people looking to have a new experience, which by the way, there's a lot of that. And that's, and that's nothing wrong with that. Like whatever, it's better than like other things one could do, I would assume. But that's number one, when a lot of time, you know, people across our society have deeply, uh, you know, troubling um, conditions where this could be helpful. So talk about that first. And then the second thing is, how does one, you know, you're in this industry, like, how do you get this into the mainstream where it's just not, where it's not, like, we don't have to make the jokes about, you know, the horse tranquilizer and all that right. sort of stuff. So respect with respect to access um as of right now ketamine for mood disorders is is an off-label treatment so it is not specifically covered by insurance so how do we create access where you know a cash pay product is by nature less accessible than something that's widely covered by insurance so the long game is to continue to lobby the insurance industry to uh look at the studies uh, understand that it's in their interest, uh, less costly over the long run. People aren't on meds for the rest of their life. They're not on long-term disability. That it's in the insurance industry's interest to help people access these treatments because the 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 cost uh, to society of depression, anxiety, and other mood disorders, the cost to the insurance companies um, is far greater uh, without these treatments than with these treatments. But we're not there yet. So what do we do in the interim? 
So there are companies like Enthea, which is a third-party administrator that goes directly to employers to say, hey, would you cover this treatment for your employees? Almost as like a separate uh, piece of insurance, right? That's self-insurance at the, at the employer level. So that's starting to gain a lot of momentum. We at Nushama have programs in place for uh, first responders, military, police, firefighters, nurses, uh, EMS, teachers to come in at a reduced rate because we want to create access. We partner with financing companies that let people pay it over, you know, interest-free over 12 months. So there's a lot of ways and we're, we're constantly pushing and exploring. Um, and, but, but fundamentally at the moment, it is uh, largely an out-of-pocket experience. Now, what I would say though, mm -hmm. is that people value what they what they work for and what they invest in. And you get, we, we see this all the time. Um, you got to have skin in the game. You got to, you got to be invest in your own, in your own well being. Um, and so that is, you know, what is your life worth? What is getting your life back worth? And what, what's the investment one we make if you were doing a course? So our, our, our pricing for, for six sessions uh, is $4,800. And, uh, you know, as I said, we have a number of payment plan options and we have another of other programs. Uh, it sounds, it sounds on the one hand, like a lot. I mean, each session is three hours in a midtown Manhattan doctor's office, right? So at an hourly, mm -hmm. at an hourly rate, it's actually well below what, what someone might expect to pay in New York. But we understand that it's, that it's, that, that, that is, uh, at a headline level, uh, a good amount of money when broke, when you, when paid over 12 months, you know, $400 a month to, to go from not being able to get out of bed in the morning to being able to, you know, be fully alive um, seems like something that is much more doable and much more accessible. Um, with respect to the second question, so I think a couple things are going to happen. One, there's a certain virality to what we do in that, you know, it's very noticeable when someone you've known your whole life is... Uh, has, you know, looks depressed, looks anxious, looks whatever. And then suddenly they, the spark comes back and they're, they, you know, there's just a physical and mental change that is impossible not to notice. And it becomes a discussion point. And that, that gets wider and wider as we do more public relations and as more media picks us up as podcasts like yourself talk about this, it normalizes the discussion. It's not so esoteric. It's not so out there. It doesn't seem so scary when we're having these, these you know, discussions as more studies come out. And frankly, as the FDA moves to reschedule some other molecules. So the rescheduling of MDMA, which you know, has been 18 months away for a long time, but <laughs> uh, the, the, the move to, to reschedule MDMA for the treatment of PTSD I think we'll also really shift mindset and we'll make people realize, oh, the FDA says this has a, a legitimate and proper usage. And like 10% of Americans are suffering from PTSD, which is a staggering number of people. It's not just people in the military or ex-police or ex-firefighters, but anyone who's gone through a very severe trauma could have experienced PTSD. So suddenly, you know, it looks like uh, rather than everyone telling you what you, you know, you have, you can't do this and you can't do that to treat your PTSD. We're actually opening up avenues for treatment. And so 
when that happens, we think that'll be another inflection point because it will destigmatize yet another molecule. And then it starts to look, you know, um, uh, one is uh, one is an anecdote and two is data, right? So we're gonna you're gonna start to see um, a lot a greater opening in 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 our opinion. All right, everybody, you heard it here first. So go check out Nushama at their website. It's nushama.com. and you can find them on Instagram at Nushama Wellness. All right, guys, Richard Meloff and Jay Godfrey, co-founders of Nushama. Thanks so much for being here. Thanks, Patrick. Thank you very much. FOMO Sapiens is recorded in New York City. Theme FOMO. music is by Mike McGinnis, and editing and post-production is by Josh Elstrom. FOMO. If you like today's show, please be sure to rate it and recommend it to your friends. FOMO. And as always, you can find me at FOMOSapiens.com and at PatrickMcGinnis.com. To advertise on FOMO Sapiens, reach out to contact FOMO. at FOMOSapiens.com.